bragging. This is what God's done. Verse 20 to 33. And thus, Paul says to the Romans, thus, all that ministry's done, thus I make it my ambition, emphasis on my, this is Paul's, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Hey, Paul, you're not the only one. Lots of people want to preach the gospel. Paul says, but my ambition is to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. If Christ has already been named there, that's not really my town. I want to go where Christ has not been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. If someone's already gone into a town or region they brought Christ into there and a foundation's been laid. I don't want to go in there and build on their foundation. Is that wrong? Is that terrible? People shouldn't do that. That's not what Paul is saying. It's just, he's saying, that's not my calling. That's not his calling. Paul, where do you get such ideas? Verse 21. He quotes Isaiah, as it is written. Those. So here's why Paul has this ambition. He's like, I'm reading along in Isaiah and this verse really, really spoke to me. This is my verse, Paul might say. Those who have never been told of Him, Him we now know is Jesus the Christ. Those who've never been told of Him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. That's why Paul says, my ambition is to preach where there's been no foundation laid. Where He's never been named. And so with that, as kind of his motivation, background, now Paul applies it to Rome. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Back in chapter 1, Paul says, Romans, I really want to keep, I want to come to you, but I've been hindered. Something's been stopping me. Now we know it was not demonic forces. It was another obligation, another duty, another calling. He's saying this, what verse 19, 20, 21, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. I've been wanting to come to Rome. I just couldn't. But now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions that I just spoke of in verse 19. And since I have longed for many years to come to you. Here's the plan. I hope to see you in passing. Not come and stay a long time. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And, watch, to be helped on my journey there by you. Here's my new plan. I'm going to come to you, spend a little time with you. You're going to send me into Spain. It's going to be great. What a wonderful plan. Verse 24 continues. Once I have enjoyed this company, your company, for a while. So you're going to send me on my journey to Spain once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Oh, so Paul, I guess we'll see you at any moment. Now you'll be here probably in a few weeks. Nope, got one task to do first. Verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem. Hey, time out. Paul. Again, I wish I had a map here. Paul, if you're in Corinth, where we think you're writing the letter to the Romans, and you're writing to us Romans over here in Italy, and your goal is to go to Spain and use us as a springboard to get to Spain, uh, hey, newsflash, Jerusalem is exactly the opposite direction of where you're saying you want to come. Verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? Bringing aid to the saints. I've got some money, and I need to take it to Jerusalem to the saints. 
For Macedonia, northern Greece, churches up there. This is Philippi, Thessalonica, Apollonia, Amphipolis, Berea. If you remember those names from the book of Acts, verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia, this would be Athens and Corinth. For Macedonia and Achaia have, this is an important section, have been pleased to make some contribution. And I, I always think of this. I don't know why. I always think there's going to be somebody that attends Graceview for the first time on the Sunday that I'm preaching on a text that has to do with giving. And they're going to make the assumption, yep, another preacher going to preach to us about giving. You're going to use the old sow a seed phrase, aren't you, that they all use on television. Okay. That's why I like expositional preaching. We've just been going through Romans ever since January of 2017, and we are now to chapter 15. And so I'm not going out of my way, but I surely can't dodge passages like this. Verse 25. Paul, while you're taking this relief aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Paul saying they were pleased, they wanted to do this. And indeed, they owe it to them. Watch what Paul says. They're pleased to do it, good thing, you owe it to them. They owe it. How do they owe it? Why do these Christians in Greece owe anything to Christians in Jerusalem? Middle of verse 27. For if the Gentiles, it's all of, most all of us I'm assuming here today, it's me. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, Gentiles owe a huge debt to the Jews. If we've come to share in their spiritual blessings, here's a principle I cannot preach it fully today because it's got to be careful here. But I, 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 I hope you would take this verse home and ask the Lord, Lord, what are the principles in this verse? Here's a principle. If the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, you've been a spiritual blessing to us. You had the gospel. You shared the gospel. It made its way to us. We have eternal life now because of what you have told us and sent to us. We're hugely indebted. Paul says... They ought. Yeah, you owe it to them. I'm glad you're doing it willfully and you're pleased to do it because you owed it. And verse 27 continues. They ought also to be of service to them in material things. So they, the Jews, were a blessing to us spiritually. So we should be a blessing to them in material things. So that's why Paul says, When therefore I have completed this, this trip to drop money off, and have delivered to them that which that, that what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And before he hits chapter 16, where he's going to name a lot of people, and I have no idea how I'm going to preach that next week, but that'll be an interesting passage. I've never preached anything like chapter 16 begins. But verse 30, here's one more thing. Romans, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, here it is, I appeal to you, strive together with me. Strive together with me in your prayers. You know your prayers, you do pray, don't you? Do you pray in your prayers? Would you strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf? Need you to pray for me. What should we pray, Paul? Pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And 
that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. This offering, pray it goes well. Pray they receive it. So that by God's will I may come to you, Romans, with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Look again at verse 20 and 21. Would you look back there? And thus, Paul says, because all that the Lord's been doing from Jerusalem around to Illyricum, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Last week, can I quickly review? Paul sees himself as a pioneer, frontier, trailblazing missionary who's going to take the gospel where they've never heard it before. And he uses this analogy of a foundation. And, and I, got, I know this is repeat, but this foundation analogy, I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. Is Okay, I, I did, I taught in a Christian school and sports and things like that for 21 years and some field trips. Every now and then you'll have that young person who when all of the group is excited and they're going this way, they almost want to pull back and kind of have a maverick, rogue independent, I'll just call it what it is, prideful spirit. All of you are going left, I'm going right. You ever seen that person? You're all excited about going left, I'm going right. This is not Paul saying, hey, I know everybody's excited about their ministry and their version of the gospel. I'm not going to be with them. I'm doing my own thing. I want to lay my own foundations. I'm not working with anyone. That is not the spirit of Paul. His spirit is not that I have to have my own message. You can have your own version of the gospel. I want to be a famous philosopher. I'm starting my own gospel. That's not it at all. What Paul is saying is the same gospel. I'm just called to go where they've never heard it before. Not everyone is going to do that. We saw last week, Apollos, Paul. Paul is a guy who plows brand new ground, who plants seed. Apollos is a guy who comes along in waters and weeds, and he's going to see the real harvest come in, and Apollos is probably going to see more results. But Paul's moved on, and he started another ministry, laid another foundation. That's what Paul sees himself as doing. Paul is not one, hey, you, I see you've got a foundation laid. Can I build on it? But here's what he does. I have laid a foundation. Anyone want to come put some walls up here, put a roof on this, put some wiring and some plumbing and some sheetrock and some paint? You guys want to finish it out? I've got it started. I've got to go over here and lay another foundation. That's all Paul's saying. It's not content of the message. It's the location of the message that is unique to him. Mark your marker in Romans 15. Let's go to that passage that we hit at least five or six times a year, maybe eight or nine times a year. Matthew 28. Would you flip over there? Because all of this is springing from some of Jesus' last words. Matthew 28. So Jesus has been resurrected. It's in these 40 days after his resurrection where he's revealing himself to his disciples. There are 11 disciples. Judas is not among them. They're up north in Galilee. He meets them. Some are worshiping him. Some are doubting. Eventually they realize it really is him. And so verse 18, here's the message Jesus gives his disciples. Here they are. And Jesus... Hear these today. Earlier we sang, I've decided to follow Jesus. I surrender all. Just a few moments ago, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven. Heaven is a real place right now. All the believers through the centuries and through the millennia are there. The angels are there. God is there. It's a real place. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven 
and on earth, we know earth is a real place, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, a man, Jesus. As Christ, he's God, but son of God, eternally omnipotent, eternally authoritative, but he becomes a man, Jesus, and then he's given, the man, Jesus, who is still the Christ, the son of God, is given authority. Verse 19. Go, therefore, because I have all authority, Go, therefore, hear this today, make disciples of all nations. Here's your job assignment. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Watch, it's not over. It's not enough to get them saved. Teaching them to know all that I... No, that's not what it says. You should have caught that. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at verse 20 again. Teaching them. So get them saved, get them baptized, and then teach them to observe all the commands I give to you. I wrote myself a little note. All, observe all that I have commanded you includes this command. Did you catch that? It includes this command. You make sure you pass on to them and, and teach them, not just to know it in their head, but to observe to do all that I've commanded you. Well, that would mean we need to tell them to do this one. Take the gospel to the nations, get them baptized, and then teach them to... Right, and then what would they do? Well, then they would teach them to observe to do, and it will keep going and going and going. What do we call this? It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission means an order has gone out and an authority has been given. Hear that. An order has gone out and the authority has been given to take the gospel to the nations, make disciples, and then teach them how to observe and work with them to observe all the commands of Christ. You've heard this. It's not original. I don't know who said it first. But sometimes the great commission becomes the great omission. Why? We fail to do it. The great commission is weakened. Not among all, but among some, among many. I think probably among most Christians, the Great Commission has been weakened. Why? I want to offer three things. Number one, some have never heard this command. Literally, some have never heard this command. Maybe they don't read their Bible. Maybe they go to a church that emphasizes bingo, sports, church sports teams. Jeff, are you against bingo? Jeff, are you against church sports teams? Absolutely not. Church social clubs and church community. Jeff, are you against that? Absolutely not. Social reform and social injustice, and that's what they think. That's church, and it's a place where we all know each other, and we go, and we hang out, and we kind of, that's just kind of where I, that's my group. But if we're not careful, literally, you say, Jeff, we hear this all the time. We're tired of hearing this. I promise you there are people, there are Christians in America who never hear this text preached on. They never hear it put before them. They just literally never heard. So I want to tell you this morning, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are in debt now to obey this and get the gospel to the nations. Some have never heard. Second thing, this happens a lot. I've encountered Christians who fit the second one. Some do not hear the call from Jesus as personal. That's not me. Yeah, I've read this. This is a great commission. It makes wonderful things. Some believe this. That was for the apostles. That's not for the church. Others say, well, it was for the apostles and it's for a few people to go take the gospel to the nations. It's not for me. And so they don't hear the gospel as personal. A third thing I believe why the Great Commission becomes the great omission is some 
hear it. They do hear it as personal. They know, they know they are responsible, but here's what happened. They just ignore their Lord. They call him Lord. They know they're supposed to be about this business, but they just ignore the Lord. I'm not taking the gospel to the nations. I'm not going to do it. And that's someone here this morning. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. If we're not careful, we'll become very enamored with this. Hey, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I doubted it there for a while, but I got that settled. I have assurance of salvation. I think everyone around me and my family, we're all saved, and we're here in the good old United States, and we're enjoying the blessings of God as though the blessings are the end. I'm saved. I have assurance. I'm enjoying these blessings. That's the end of the Christian life. Instead of seeing these blessings, particularly here in the United States, as a springboard from which to minister. Enjoy the blessings, but don't... Hey, watch. Sometimes we take the blessings of God. Really, say, think, how has God blessed me? If we're not careful, we'll take the blessings of God. They become idols to us. They become distractions to us. I love the blessing more than I love the one who blessed me with it. This good thing that God has given me right around this time of the year, we have a lot of this idolatry and distraction that really kicks in high mode around here, right? Here, Alabama, and some other good old southeastern, Ohio, Michigan, you figured out what I'm talking about. You say, Jeff, are you against book, college football and college basketball? No, love it. Watch some of it yesterday. Love that stuff. But let's be honest, it's by the grace of God we're not in hell right now. And if we're not careful, we'll take these blessings of God and they become our idol and a total distraction. Instead of saying, God, you've blessed us. We're supposed to use that as a springboard to do this. Enjoy the blessings, but don't just stop at the blessings. But praise the Lord, every now and then there are some people. Acts chapter 13, and they fit this description. They're like Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 13, watch what happened. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. This is a city of 500,000 people. Not all are Christians, but a brand new church. I believe this church at this point is just a few years old. A few years old. But God's doing amazing things. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So here's a list of their leadership. Barnabas. Simeon, who was called Niger. So black. He's a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, an African. Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So this is a young man who grew up kind of around the palace. He knows the political life backwards and forwards. God saved him. And Saul. You say, Saul, that sounds familiar. This is Saul, our guy who's writing the book of Romans, still using his Hebrew name. He's not yet using his Roman name of Paul. So we have these five pastors. Watch what happens. While they were worshiping the Lord in Antioch and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, separate, set apart for me, Barnabas, I want the first guy on the list and the fifth guy on the list. Separate apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want the first one, I want the fifth one. I have a special work for them. They're going to go be groundbreakers. They're going to go be frontier, pioneer, planting, foundation-laying missionaries. What about the other three? You guys keep plowing away here at the church that's already established. You have your calling. They have theirs. It's not that theirs is better. We heard Paul's attitude last week in, the, in Corinthians. Paul's not saying, I'm better than Apollos. We're just different, and each one of us will have our reward in the last day. So pr thankfully, some people are like Paul. You know what they do? You say, how do people like Brian and Martha Connor end up going to the mission field? Very simple. Just like this, they hear the call of God, and they obey. That's the message. That's one of the messages today. 
Have you ever just heard the call of God and just said, I'm simply going to obey? So Jeff, are you saying we should expect to hear an audible voice? You might. <laughs> you might. I don't know one person who has. And I know some people who are called to the mission field and I know some people who are called into vocational Christian ministry. That's their vocational job. That's their work. And they would mostly say, I felt a call to do that. So should we wait on an audible voice? It could happen. It didn't happen with me. Jeff, what's your story? I'm glad you asked. So I'm going to share a very brief version. 36 years ago, the Lord, I felt, called me to preach. And if you're thinking, 36, how old are you? I'm 48. I was 12 years old. I was in my uncle's church. My uncle Lewis was our pastor. I remember that I would sit in this area right back here. We had a little deeper sanctuary, but we were not nearly as wide as this. And I would always sit on the inside. And I remember, this is just me. I'm, I'm kind of laid back, but high strung internally. I don't know how to explain it. I would lean forward, and I'd have my Bible, and I would kind of rock. And I'm telling you, I was in tune with everything that my uncle would say. Didn't matter how long he preached. Man, I was hanging on it. I, I was just interested in the things of God. At some point, 1982, he preached, a, I think, a two, maybe three-week series on going the second mile. Jesus says, someone asks you to go a mile with them, go the second mile with them. And my pastor just threw out, not, not knowing what would happen. Is there anyone here that would want to go the second mile with God? And after a couple, two or three weeks of hearing that, I'm going to tell you, Jeff, what, what, what happened? What was your calling? I'm going to tell you how I got called. I was interested in it. And I wanted to do it. I want to do it. I desired it. You say, that's it? No voice? No big bonk over the head? No dream in the middle of the night? That's your calling? The Lord validated that through the years. It's real simple. Can we have 1 Timothy chapter 3? Look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy as Paul writes to, Tim to Timothy, who's going to be the elder, pastor, bishop, overseer of Ephesus, he's in place there, Paul tells his protege, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, you see it? If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, bishop, kind of like pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, same people. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. That's what happened with me. Here's a kid, 12 years old, as introverted as anybody in this room. I'm thinking of two introverted people that are in this room that I know, young people, both of them. At 12 years old, I'm extremely introverted. My two main fears, you've heard me say before, I'm scared of heights and I'm scared of public speaking. And my uncle's preaching on this. I'm interested in the things of the Word of God. I'm interested in eternity. I'm interested in connecting souls with what the Bible says. I want to know what the Bible says. Something in me says, I want to spend my life teaching and preaching the Bible. But public speaking is my second greatest fear. And God says, got a plan for you. And that's my story. Back to Romans. I believe Paul's story is this. I'm in the temple. Jesus says, get out. The Jews are going to kill you. Paul says, no, they'll listen to me. And Jesus says, get out. They're going to kill you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And then he's in Antioch. So off he does, he's doing some work in Turkey. Barnabas comes and gets him, brings him over to Antioch. He's working there for a while. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, separate Paul Separate Barnabas and Saul for this special work and they're going to be sent out as missionaries. And I believe Paul is giving us a hint in chapter 15 here because I, I find so often it is connected to a passage. For me, it was, will you go the second mile? 
And I believe Paul's was, I'm reading in Isaiah, and chapter 52 just leaps off the page. That's what's inside of me. I want to go where they've never heard. I want to go where they've never seen. That's where I want to go. That's what God's put into me. So watch verse 22 and 23. I'm still in the introduction. We're good. We're fine. So don't sweat it, okay? Watch verse 22. This is the reason, this pioneer spirit, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Watch. I think two things, two dynamics, what Paul just let us see. Watch. Earlier in the chapter, he says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I want, watch, I want to come to you, Rome. You're my business. You are mostly Gentiles. You fall under my authority, under my apostleship. I want you to be an acceptable offering to the Lord. You're on my heart. I really want to come there. By God's grace, I'm planning to come. That's him as an apostle. Watch. But Paul, as the missionary, says, I can't fulfill that just yet because between Jerusalem and Rome, there's all this room that has yet to hear of Jesus. You guys already have the gospel witness. You already have a church. You've had a church from the time of Pentecost, the very beginning. You guys have the faith. There's too many people between me and you who've never heard the gospel. I have to reach this this region. That's why I can't come to you. But I'm coming. I just can't do it yet. I want to come there. And then finally, we see these two dynamics converge at once. Paul's like, as an apostle, I, I need to come to Rome. You're a big area and a lot of Gentile ministry and things can be done there. You're under my authority. But the missionary says, can't do it yet. I have this other work that has to be done first. And then he says something that, frankly, is a little bit mind-blowing. Did you catch it? Look at verse 23. I want you to taste this. But now, I've been wanting to come to you, Rome, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Paul, are you seriously trying to make us think that in 1,400 miles, where there are millions of people, we know there's 500,000 in Antioch, 300,000 in Ephesus, that's almost a million just in two cities. Are you telling, in these millions, are you trying to insinuate that all the people between you and Rome have been one to Christ? Paul, how can you possibly say you've done all your work in that region? Two ways he can say that. Number one, I believe Paul assumes that other Christians will evangelize. Paul's like, hey, my work's done. I assume other Christians will evangelize. Jeff, what is evangelism? It's sharing your faith. It's trying to persuade people to become believers in Christ like you are. Jeff, I don't know how to do that. Can I give you two questions that we've been taught? Just two If you need to write them down or if you need to put them in your head, just two questions. This week, I dare you, can we be counted on to evangelize? Paul's saying, no, I've not won everybody in all of that area, but I've planted churches and the believers that are there, they should be doing the work of evangelism. It's not up to me to do all the evangelism. It's not up to the professional to come in and do all the soul winning and all the evangelism. The people are to do the work of the evangelism. I have other things that are my calling. Would you do this? I dare you. I double dare you. I double dare you this week to ask somebody these two questions. Turn the conversation towards spiritual things. You're like, oh, I'm getting nervous. Just do it. It's your calling. We've been commissioned. Ask them this. So how would you describe your relationship with God? Ask them. Ask somebody. Some of you can say, I've asked somebody. I know where you're headed. It's that exchange, right? Ask somebody. So how would you describe your relationship with God? And then let them talk. 
And then once they get to talking, ask the big question. Here's the second one. So what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and have your sins forgiven? What I mean by that, what do you think it takes to live with God forever in heaven? How's your relationship with God? And then after that, what do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and have your sins forgiven? They will tell you what, what they believe. They will tell you what they're, tr- what they're trusting. And then let the Lord move. Now, we can get you things that say, what do I say after that? Christian, if you've been under preaching and teaching for many years, you know more than you think you do. And if they start saying, well, I'll tell you, well, how do you go to heaven? You go to church and you read your Bible and you drop money in the plate and... I'm working on my language. You gotta, I've got to do a little better there. And, and granddad, he was a preacher. And if that's what they're saying, something you should say, whoa, this person's on the way to hell. Can we be counted on to evangelize? The second reason, very simple. Paul says, I only have one life. I have to be real strategic about how I use my life as a pioneer. So Paul says, Rome, I want to come to you as an apostle. And it's going to work because I have new mission work in Spain and you're going to send me there. So notice three things with me out of our text this morning. I'm entitled this a missionary's wish wish list, and I believe any missionary would say they desire the following things. Number one, Paul desires their company. Did you catch it? Paul desires their company. This first thought is going to be very key to the next two. As a missionary, Paul says, imagine you're, you're one of the Roman churches. Paul says, I want to come. I want to spend some time with you. In essence, he's saying, I want you to know my face. I want you to know my passion. I want you to know what I'm about. I want to get to know you because it's going to affect the other two things that I desire for you. But first of all, I want to enjoy your company. We saw this. Look at verse number 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Verse number 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Rome, you know what I really want? I want to come on, spend some time with you. I want, to, I want to be in your community. Will you let me in your community? Can I join in with you guys? I live with three other saved people in my house, and tomorrow our offices will be closed, so don't think we'll be up here unless we need to for something, but most days of the week, there's five of us here. Whether any of you drop by or not, there's five of us. It occurred to me the other day, Jeff, on a normal day, you interact with more Christians in one day than many missionaries will interact with an entire month. Don't take that lightly. Some of you say, Jeff, I don't work in a Christian environment. It's tough. But at least you get to go home and you get to come to church where you're surrounded by a couple hundred Christians, right? Some missionaries literally don't see another Christian, or if they do, it's only on Sunday, and it's only one other couple. Don't take that for granted. What Paul is saying is, as a missionary, I'm getting ready to go into unknown places, dangerous places. Hold on, Jeff. God wouldn't send his children into dangerous places. That's a lie of the devil. God, we're not saying play fast and loose with life, and we're not just saying be haphazard with life. We are to be wise. But if we're fooling ourselves if we think the, the Bible does not send his people, God's people, into the dangerous places. They have souls. They're dying and going to hell. Someone needs to get the gospel to them. Paul took the gospel to dangerous places, unknown places. Here's what he's saying. If I'm going to the unknown and the dangerous, I don't want to be alone. I need to know that you know me. And when you think of me, you see my face, and you will support me and pray for me. One of the things I really loved Wednesday night as Brian and Martha shared their heart with us for about an hour. Did you catch at the end, those of you that were there, as Martha said, now listen, one thing we want to be clear about, and I disagreed with her a little bit, but she says, we're not special. 
She said, we're not special. We don't need to be treated special. She said, we get in arguments just like you. We fuss at our kids just like you. We're just average, just average Christians who just happen to be called to the mission field to Africa in January. I like that perspective. Listen to me. Missionaries and those who are called into Christian ministry are no different from you. They have the exact same struggles as you. You make a huge mistake and you do them and even us a huge disservice if you put them and us way up here as if, oh, you don't struggle with the things we struggle with. Just like us. Paul says, I just want your company. I've used this before, but I thought I might need to do it again at this moment. Forgive me if you've heard it before. Missionary David Hosefluk was asked, he's with Frontline Missions International, and a pastor asked missionary David Hosefluk, David, how do, I, how do I present and share missions with my congregation? And David wrote the following response. It's in two parts. I want to present it to you. Number one, one of the best things I've ever read. David says, quote, to the pastor, how to tell his church about missions. He says, let them know the incredible difficulty of leaving houses and lands for the gospel. It's easy to feel the tingly sensations of missionary surrender by listening to a well-crafted, musically powerful missionary DVD in a climate-controlled auditorium and then hearing an impassioned sermon. But turn off the AC when you preach the sermon. Well, what if we did that? It's supposed to be 85 by the time we get to noon today. You guys wouldn't like that. Here's what he says. Hey, when you're doing that, turn the AC off. He continues. Pump in the smells of body odor and strange food and cigarette smoke. Blast some insipid Balkan or tribal music in the background. Next sentence is key. Pastors, you want to talk to your congregations about missions? He's just going to shoot straight. He says, talk about depression and loneliness and pain and smog and threats and fears and danger and discomfort and frustration about the illogical grammar. Pastors, he would say, talk about there being ten demises. That's... This man that left Paul. Paul invested in him in the moment when Paul really needed him. He quits. He says, talk about there being ten demises that rip out your heart for every Timothy that is faithful. Talk about pouring out blood, sweat, and tears and seeing the harvest come in slower than you thought it would. This is not going how I thought it would. Talk about, here's a big one. Talk about missionary kids struggling to adjust and forever becoming Third culture people. What does that mean? Third culture. He says, neither being culturally American. I thought about little Killian. I think Killian's three. Killian will not be American when he goes to West Africa. Brian is American. Martha has been in missions as, as in her childhood. So she's been in America and out of America. Here's what Host of Fluke writes. Talk about missionary kids struggling to adjust and forever becoming third culture people, neither being culturally American nor Timbuktuan, if you were called to Timbuktu. 
Missionary sacrifice is overwhelming. This isn't in the fine print. It's plastered all over the New Testament. But we fail to present this side because we don't want to sound like we're bellyaching. War is hell. That's what Host Fluke says. You want to know what to tell your people? Tell them it's hard leaving houses and lands. Tell them it's difficult. People are after us. We get depressed. We get lonely. We struggle. We get frustrated. We, we watch our kids struggle. It's not, it's not easy. Tell them that part. But number two. Host Fluke says to pastors, number two, let them know the incredible reward of doing all this for Christ's sake. Talk up the joy that was set before Christ at the cross. Talk up eternal treasure. Mention the party thrown over the one in 100 rescued from destruction. Overshadow the immense difficulties of missionary sacrifice by the overwhelming rewards of eternity. Make them jealous for God's glory. Tell them how tear-jerkingly awesome it is to hear a sinner calling upon the name of the Lord after being convicted by the Holy Spirit through someone as unworthy as them. Tell them that part. Then he says, And even in the absence of such conversions on a large scale, let them know that there is great fulfillment in knowing that amidst the pagan sounds and oppressive darkness, you have been sent as a light lit by the light. And though no one may come, though no one heed, you are there. And they know you are there. And He knows you are there. And He is there with you always until it's all over. And you go to your final sleep saying, I left it all out there on the field and it was worth it all. Tell them all of that. Tell them it's really, really hard. Don't minimize the difficulty. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't glamorize it. It's hard. But tell them it's worth it for Christ. Number two. What do we see in Romans 15? Paul not only wants their company, Paul desires their support. Would you look at verse 24? I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. (laughs) Wait a second. Is that what you've been getting at the whole time? You don't even know us to the face. Yeah, you know a few people. Is this really where you've been heading the whole time? I don't think it's the main thing, but I think it's one of the main things. Listen, Paul does not apologize. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. I'm one I like on these issues. I'm going to just tell you, I'll beat around the bush. Well, you know, I already did it today. If you're a first timer, you're probably thinking, I always preach on giving. I don't want to be known as one of those preachers who preach on giving all the time. Somebody please tell them we don't do that all the time. He really doesn't. I promise. This is really, if it comes up in the text, Paul, hey, I'm heading to Spain. You're going to support me, right? Uh, You're going to support me, right? Paul desires their support. There are two types of giving that are, that are covered in verses 24 to 28. Five verses, two types of giving. Watch. I believe if we black, back up to chapter 13 and just real quickly hit something, we're going to see three areas where Christians contribute. Very clear areas where Christians contribute. We could say clear components of New Testament giving. There may be a genuine, and by the way, there may be some some Christians sitting here right now, okay, I'm getting ready to tune out because I love my stuff. And I don't want to hear it. And so I'm not even going to, I'll come back when you get to the third point. But there may be a genuine seeker, then here's your thought. 
Jeff, what does the Bible say about Christians giving? What does the Bible say? Number one, look back at chapter 13. I'm just going to touch it. Chapter 13, verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. Verse 1 in chapter 13 says, these are the governing authorities. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Why? For the, for the authorities are ministers of God. Two other times in this passage, he calls government officials, servants of God, attending to this very thing. What do Christians do? Jeff, what's, what's a component of New Testament giving? Here it is. New Testament giving is this. Christians pay their taxes. That's what Christians do. Test yourself. Number two, Christians, as we saw in verses 24 to 28, Christians support the needs of the poor. Christians support the needs of the poor. If you want to look at the screen, probably won't have time to go there. Proverbs. These are timeless, so don't hear this. Jeff, that's Old Testament. No, these are wise sayings that are timeless wise sayings. Proverbs 19, look at verse 17. Hear it. Listen to what God says. Listen. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous to the poor lends. You're like, oh, they're going to pay me back. No, they will not pay you back. They cannot pay you back. Don't look for them to pay you back. If you have it and you can be generous to the poor, here's what the passage is saying. God's watching. He's making note. He's going to repay you. That's what the Bible teaches. A couple of chapters over. Proverbs verse, chapter 21, verse 13 gives a little bit of the negative side of it. So the other one's kind of, hey, this good thing's going to happen. Verse 13 of 21. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor. Again, you have it. Not talking to everybody in here, but if you have it and the cry of the poor is legit, they're really crying out, you hear it, but you close your ears. I don't want to hear that. Here's what the Bible says. He will himself call out and not be answered. Here, here's how it happens. You have it. Someone needs it. You obviously see the need. Could help, but you turn away. I don't even want to think about that. What the Bible's saying, the time's going to come where you're going to need it. God has it. And God's going to say, nope. Nope, you didn't, you didn't help them. You had that. So I'm, you gave them the stiff arm. You turned your face to them. I'm turning my face away from you. As we make our way back, well, go ahead and go to Galatians 6 if you want to. Galatians 6. I'll read this in a moment. I want to make a statement. I'm going to make some very short, brief statements, but I don't have time to track them down, but I feel very comfortable in making this statement. Here it comes. We're talking about Paul saying, I'm... Desiring your support. Desire your company, I desire your support. Christians pay their taxes. Christians support the needs of the poor. Here's a statement. God blesses His people. I could stop there. God blesses His people. Have you experienced the blessings of God? Can you honestly say, yeah, wow, God has blessed me abundantly. God blesses His people for their enjoyment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go read it. God blesses His people for their enjoyment. You're like, hey, I like this part. This is really good. He blesses it for our enjoyment. Absolutely nothing I will say the rest of the sermon will change that. God blesses His people. So no one need go away thinking, oh boy, I went by Starbucks and I got a coffee and I'm so convicted. This is wrong. This is wrong. 
I could have, I am not saying that, nor is the Bible. Why has God blessed you? To enjoy. Go look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. But in his blessings, not only does he want you to enjoy the blessing, but he wants you to use the blessing. It's so simple, nothing original. God wants you to enjoy the blessing. God wants you to use the blessing to be a blessing to others. And here we come full circle. The biblical stance is, while you are using the blessings of God to be a blessing to those that need it, particularly there is a priority in being a blessing to those who are the household of faith, to those who are Christians, to those the Bible calls saints, in the house, in the family, whether it be here or around the world. So Jeff, should we not get to poor people who are unsaved? Yes, we should. But if it comes down to either or situation, you give to the needy Christian. And I know you may be thinking... But that doesn't make sense. The unsaved person really needs it more so that they will get saved. Hey, that makes sense to me. All I'm telling you is what the Bible says. And you're like, where does the Bible say that? Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Hey, Grace Fee, do good. Don't grow weary. Do good. For in due season, I haven't got anything back yet. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, Grace Fee, here verse 10. As we have opportunity, you will not always have opportunity. Like, I, I saw a need, and I just, I literally, I couldn't help that time. That's okay. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here, Romans chapter 12, preached on this a couple months ago, Romans 12, verse number 13. Here's what Paul tells us. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Galatians, do good for everybody, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now I'm back in Romans 15. Go there real quick. Romans 15. Romans 15, look at verse 25. So Paul says, I have this collection. I'm going to send it. I'm going to take it. Not send it. I'm going to take it to Rome. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, verse 25, bringing aid to the saints. Hey, there's lots of poor people in Jerusalem. Paul says, this offering's for the saints, for the Christians. Verse 26, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints. Verse number 31, Paul in his prayer request says, pray that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea that, and that my service, my service, this offering is what he means for Jerusalem, may be acceptable to the saints. That's God's plan. So, Jeff, what's going on in Jerusalem? I'm going to give you four words. I don't have time to develop them. You ready? Why are these people so poor? I'm going to throw four words. I hope you go home at some point and think about them. Number one, famine. There really was a famine. It hit. It was a historical event. Josephus wrote about it. It was predicted in the book of Acts. It hit Judea. Famine. They just didn't truck in from California a bunch of food. People did bring food up out of Egypt, but it's going to take a while, and it's going to raise the cost. There are economic things at play. All the people in Jerusalem had experienced famine. But the next three are unique to Christians. The Jews looked at Christians as heretics who were following a man named Jesus. We killed him and they're saying he's alive and resurrected and he's the Messiah. So we're killing those people. Watch. If a Christian is a breadwinner in the home and he's imprisoned, if he has a business and he is not being used, his business, he's not being hired or his products are not being bought by other Jews in the area because he's a heretic Christian that's going to influence his family again put in prison or killed they did not have a welfare program the Jews had a welfare program the Romans didn't have a welfare program but the Jews are not going to give welfare to Christians they're blackballed they're imprisoned they're executed and we're all suffering from a famine 
And so Paul says, Greece, Gentile churches, there's a need. You want to give? And boy, did they give. This offering is very important. I'm going to give you a hint. Paul, as an apostle, says, I've been wanting to come to Rome, but I can't come. I have mission work to do. Paul, as a missionary, says, I'm coming there very soon. I'm headed to Spain. I have mission work to do. I'm going to get your company. You're going to support me as I go there. But I have something that I need to do. Paul, is dropping this offering off more important than heading on to Spain? Apparently, in Paul's mind, this outranks the other things. Why? Three reasons. Jerusalem saints were in great need. Paul loved them. The need is great. Number two, it's in the text. This collection of money is a proper, I'm going to use the word payment for Gentiles. It's a proper payment. He's, he's wording it like it's a debt that Gentiles owe. Gentiles will forever be indebted to the Jews. It's the right thing. Yes, you are willing to do it, and it's, I'm glad you're willing to do it, and I'm glad you're, you're pleased to do it because you owe it to them. You ought to do it. I should have put this in the notes, but my beat-around-the-bush nature did not put it in the notes, so I'll say it verbally. If you're a Christian and you're saying, Jeff, what's the New Testament teach? It is a biblical principle to support where we receive spiritual blessing. It's just the way it is. You receive spiritual blessing? Do you support it? Paul says, you have eternal life. Macedonians and Achaeans because the Jews gave you the gospel. Can you spare some material goods? You've been blessed materially? Give it back to them. A biblical principle. We support where we receive spiritual blessing. I cannot speak for the other 81 churches in Salute Association. I really can't. But guys, I'm not saying this in a fussing way. I'm saying this in an encouraging way. Keep doing what you're doing. To my knowledge... Well, I know this part. I don't know about other churches. For the last 12 months, we've hit budget every month. Every month. Through the summer. Summers where churches don't hit budget. You know why? Because God graced you. And then God graced grace view through you. God blessed you. You've received it as a blessing. And you've passed it on as a blessing and as an offering and even a tithe back to the Lord. Number three, why is this offering so important to you, Paul? I think this is the main one. It was seen as a fruit and an evidence of Gentile love and unity with the Jews. Paul's like, I, I want to deliver this myself. I'm not going to send it with someone else. This is so important. I want the Jews in Jerusalem to know that the Gentiles love them, see themselves as unified, brought under the same God, the same Lord, same faith, one baptism, one church. And they're proving it. How can we have more than we need when our brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem have less than they need? We're going to contribute. And Paul's like, I'm so excited. I want to deliver this. One last thought here. Would you go to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the real version of this offering that Paul's collecting. So here, I'm going to get confusing just for a second. You're turning to 2 Corinthians 8, right? Watch. Paul is in a city called Ephesus when he writes what we're about to read. So he's in Ephesus writing to the Corinthians. This is, I know it's tough. He's in Ephesus writing to the Corinthians about the Macedonians. Now when he writes Rome, he's in Corinth where he had previously written this. Now he's in Corinth telling the Romans, hey, I'm coming there eventually, but I've got to go take some, 
money over to Jerusalem because the people where I'm at now and the people up above us in Macedonia, they were pleased to give toward a collection. They were pleased. Paul could say firsthand, I'm in Corinth. These people were pleased to do it. How did that happen? Again, Paul in Ephesus, writing to the Corinthians, and he's going to talk about the Macedonians up north, Christians. Watch verse 1. Writing to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Have you heard about God's doing up in Macedonia? God's pouring out His grace. Oh, really? What's, what's happening? For in a severe test of affliction, severe test of... This doesn't sound like the grace of God. This sounds bad. Hang on. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... Okay, now that sounds good. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. The words extreme poverty there mean poverty as if a beggar... They're they're even having to ask for things themselves. They don't have it. But their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, when those two things collided, here's what happens. Here's the grace of God. Those have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Hey, Corinthians, southern Grecians, have you heard what God's doing up in northern Greece? For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Back in Jerusalem, verse 8. So here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. Hey, God, those people gave and gave and gave. They couldn't afford it and they gave it. They begged us. Verse 8. I say this not as a command. You don't have to give. Listen, you don't want to give. Don't give. This is not a command. But I say it to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Do you love brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, yeah. Verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. He had it. We needed it. He gave it up, met our need. He became poor. The Macedonians are doing the same thing as their Lord did. Corinthians, you guys going to step up. You're not in a great affliction. You should really give more, I think, is what Paul is hinting at. Back to Romans 15. So guys, there's a real desire on the part of the Christians in in Greece to support the poor. I want to invite you, pray to God to give you that spirit of giving. Third thing, you ready? Christians pay their taxes. Christians support the needs of the poor. Christians support the spread of the gospel. I'm going to review Briefly, what I said last week. Christians support the spread of the gospel. Here's what I said last week, and I asked the same question. What if we really, really believed the following? Here it comes. Jeff, what if we really believe this? All people everywhere know of God and have rejected God. All people. Number two, all people are guilty of sin and are under condemnation for their sin to die and must be saved. All know about God, all have rejected, all have sinned, all are under condemnation, all need to be saved. Good news is coming. Salvation is available. But, I didn't clarify something last week. Salvation is only available by faith, only by faith, not moving any part of the body, only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Note, here's what I did not say last week. Believing in God will not get anyone to heaven. Well, people all around the world, surely they believe in God. God's going to see that and He's going to let them in. No, He will not. 
only by faith in Christ. Fourth point. Faith in Christ is only possible by hearing about Christ. If people never hear about the Lord Jesus, they will not put their faith. They can't put their faith in what they've never heard. Fifth fact. Many people, even they say one billion people around the world, have never heard about Jesus. And that's where Paul says, that's, that's the crowd I've got to go to. That's my group. Write this down. Christians support the spread of the gospel. How? I'm not going to preach long on this. I'm just going to make the points quick. But I think they're very defendable. Obedient Christians. Jeff, what do Christians do? What's Christian, what's Christian giving? Obedient Christians give to support the work of the gospel in their own local faith family. They support the work of the gospel in their own local faith family. Where's that at? 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5, other places. Galatians 6, again. Let me remove myself and just read this verse, okay? Can I just read the verse? Galatians 6, 6. Here's what the Bible says. Let the one who is taught the word... Share all things, all good things, with the one who teaches. I think we do no harm to the passage when we say, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the ones who teach. He's obviously talking about those who directly minister close by. You apply that to our current situation as the Lord leads. Second thing Christians do. Not only do Christians support the spread of the gospel locally, but Christians support the spread of the gospel around the world. They fear, they, they feel the Great Commission as to themselves. That does not mean that every person who hears the Great Commission sees themselves as I have to go be a pioneer, pioneer missionary. I have to be a groundbreaker, a frontier, plower and planter and foundation layer. All are not called to do what Paul does, but all of us say, hold on. I am called to be part of getting the gospel to all the nations. What's my part? And I believe a Christian says, part of the way I would do that is what Paul alludes to. I will support those who are going. Financial support of those who go. Paul just assumes. Hey, I assume you're going to support me, right? We're three months from our Lottie Moon offering. Throwing it out. Why don't you get you an envelope? Now, I'm being a hypocrite, but I thought about this last night, Jeff. You don't have you an envelope. But I, I'm going to go home at some point, and I have a way that something will remind me to do that. And I'm going to get me a little envelope, and I'm going to go ahead and start putting some things in there. We won't receive it until December, but nothing wrong. Go ahead and start like, hey, I got an extra $20. Oh, that'd be good for Lottie Moon. Oh, I got an extra 10 or an extra 50 or there's 100 bucks. What can I... Go ahead and start. Oh, it's, it's over and above what you give here. You know this is coming. Why? Christians support the spread of the gospel. Back to Romans 15. Third and lastly, Paul desires their company. Paul desires their support. And you've already figured this out. Paul desires their prayers. Verse number 30. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf. And then he goes into a list. Brandon alluded to it. I'm not on our own social media. I don't do it. I'm sorry. Brandon's really good at it, and he probably does not like that I'm admitting this. Uh, I just don't do social media. But I appreciate what he's put on there and that emphasis. Monday night, uh, there's six of us in our men's group, and I told our men's group, I said, guys, let's really pray. And then Tuesday morning, there's five of us in staff meeting, 
And I said, let's, let's really pray. What do we need to pray? Pray that our people will pray. That's our prayer. This week, let's pray that our people will pray. Why? Because prayer is essential to life, the Christian life. It's essential to ministry. I'm just going to tell you, guys, if we walk in here cold-hearted, haven't talked to the Lord, haven't been moved by the Lord until the previous Sunday, it's going to take the first song and the second song and the offering and the third song and maybe about the fourth song. You're kind of like, hey, I think I'm ready to, to really worship the Lord now. It took me a while to get the crust broken up, but now I'm ready. Oh, now sit down and get your Bible down. Oh, okay. Totally missed out. Guys, I believe we forfeit the recognizable presence of the Lord if we come cold-hearted, not having spent time in prayer. This is vital. Why? Because God's power and presence is with those who pray fervently. By the way, He doesn't have to do it, but I believe He does favor people who pray fervently with His power and with His presence. And I believe Paul was a perfect example of that. Don't hold me to what I'm about to say. We're almost done with Romans, maybe in like three weeks. So, Jeff, where are we going? I don't know that we'll go immediately into another book. We will. But there may be a, at least one thing I want to preach on, and that's prayer. I can never preach on prayer enough. So with that in mind, I'm going to be very brief on this section. I'm going to just point out two or three things. You ready? Verse 30. One word here. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive. Strive. You know what strive means? Wrestle. Wrestle. I'm looking at two brothers sitting right back here. They used to be the students of mine. Okay? Jake and Lane, you two guys ever wrestled each other? As kids? About how, old, how old were you in the last time? Nine, ten? Okay. I'd love to see a wrestling match between these two guys in fun. Because they're both real strong, real strong guys. You got to exert some energy. Paul is saying the word strive, you know what it means? It, it's a word like when you're wrestling with someone, you're exerting, you're agonizing, you are strenuously. Can I just say, if you think of prayer as a nice little talk with Jesus, just a little talk with Jesus, my, my little sweet time together, and, and I just, it just, oh. I'm going to tell you, prayer is one of the most difficult things I do. If it's not the most difficult thing I do in the Christian life, prayer is at the top, top of that list. John Stott writes the following. He says, Paul is representing prayer as an activity demanding exertion, a struggle. In fact, what are we doing? We're fighting, wrestling with God. Is Paul saying, hey, help me fight against God. We've got to twist God. That's not what he's saying. Stott is right. He says, a struggle, in fact, with ourselves in which we seek to align ourselves with God's will. Verse number 30 at the end. Just a couple of words. I told you I'm only pulling two or three thoughts. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me, with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. About the third time today, I'm going to sound self-serving, and I apologize. Please don't hear it that way, and this should not be received as something arrogant. And I, I hope it doesn't come across that way. I want to share my heart here just for a moment. Paul says, would you pray on my behalf? We all need prayer. But that's especially true of those who are in vocational ministry. I'm just going to say it. We all need prayer. Jeff, why do you think those in vocational ministry and missionaries, why do they need special prayer? Because the work is massive. The work is hard. And right now you should be saying, Jeff, where I work, we have, the work is daunting and the work is hard. 
I remember working for my dad in construction when I was younger, not now. Digging ditches, running a jackhammer, running a rock drill. Can I tell you something? At the end of the day, it was always a great feeling when I, I'm just digging a ditch. If I tried it today, I would be laid up for a week. But I could, we could dig a ditch, lay the pipe, backfill the pipe with some sand or good dirt, then put all the other, sow some seed, put down some straw, put up a silt fence, and we could walk away at the end of the day and go, look what we did. Or we could jackhammer, and at the end of the day, look there, we got that whole slab up, we load it up in there, and it's dumped over there, and we kind of rake that all down. Look what we did. That's great. Or we're rock drilling, dad comes along, drops some dynamite, cover it back over with a lot of dirt, shoot the dynamite, uncover it. Look, we're ready now to put a house seat there. Look what we did today. This is awesome. You never do that in the ministry. You never have a finished product. The work is hard. The work is daunting. It is massive. It's lonely. It's slow to see results. It's often rejected. And here's the biggest one. We know straight up it is opposed by demonic forces. And for those reasons, you need to pray for those who are in vocational ministry. I need your prayers, guys. I need your prayers. What does Paul pray? Verse 31. Pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, you guys pray for me. I'm headed to Judea. There's some Jews down there. They not only haven't heard, they've heard and they've refused to believe in Jesus. They hate us. Pray that I might be delivered from them. And then he says, would you pray that the Jews who are the saints, they're on our side But pray that they'll receive this offering. Paul, hear hear his heart. This is especially important, very important. Pray that they receive the offering. It is so key. I wish I had more time to develop that thought. I'm going to say this. To accept the offering. Here comes Paul. Jews, Gentiles. You know, we've been saying there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, same God. This is God's plan all along. Okay, we're learning that. They want to give you this. What? And I'm assuming they open up bags or chests or something. Real money. They didn't have Wells Fargo or Western Union. It's like, what is that? They love you guys. They think they're your brother and sister in Christ. They're unified with you. Would you please receive this on behalf of them and on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ? If those Jews had said, no, we're not taking Gentile money. Get that out of here. We're not one with them. Then that would have been to undermine Paul's whole ministry. Paul's basically saying it's riding on this. They need to realize it is one. We're not two different churches. It's not Jew and Gentile. It is one. Pray. And by the way, I think here's Paul's thinking. Surely they will see the sacrificial giving of the Gentiles. That's going to loosen their hearts. Surely that's going to speak to them. I wrote myself a sentence. I'm going to offer it to you. Here's a lesson. People believe that we really believe our own doctrine... And that it is life-changing when we put our money where our mouth is. Say that again. Say, Jeff, you've lost it. You sound real excited about that last sentence, but it's after 12 o'clock and it's time to go. Let me say it again. Because you didn't catch it the first time. People will believe that we really believe our own doctrine and that it is life-changing when we put our money where our mouth is. And I think the the, the Jews would have to say, they've done what? Then they do love us. If you go around telling everybody Jesus is the only way to heaven and I love Jesus, but he never gets any of your money, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Oh, it's life-changing. It's urgent. You really need this. I don't believe you and you don't either. You're just saying words. 
If it gets more of your money than the spread of the gospel, something's wrong. You don't believe your own words. You don't believe your own doctrine. And I'm not against it, I made that very clear. God gives blessings to enjoy. And I'm not picking on Clemson. It would go the same for North Carolina and Duke and South Carolina and Georgia and all the good places we like to spend our money. It is not, I'm not, please don't go out. Jeff thinks it's wrong to spend money. Give him your contributions. That's fine. Just remember the poor and remember the spread of the gospel. That's where our hearts should be. So Jeff, how did it go? He says, pray that be delivered from the Jews. I guess God answered that prayer. Well, they arrested him. They beat him. They almost killed him. They threw him in jail for two years, but they didn't, they didn't kill him. So God kind of answered that request. So he says, pray that the Jews receive this offering. I believe the book of Acts is fairly clear that they brought the offering and the Jews did receive the offering. That prayer was answered. Paul says, pray that I get to come to you with joy. How did that prayer request go, Jeff? The book ends. We don't know. Does he end up... Uh, yeah, he eventually gets to Rome. But he's a prisoner when he arrives. But he got to Rome. So Paul says, pray by God's will that these things happen. Did you notice? I'm surrendered to God's will. One out of three, just as I want it. The other one, kind of. They didn't kill me. They did a lot, but they didn't kill me. So that one's answered. I do get to Rome. Not how I thought. But I do get to Rome. God's good. He's sovereign. Your prayers have blessed me.